Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Met a ghost of a king on the road when I first fell. Fire burning to my knees, to my knees I fell. Met a ghost of a king on the road. Today's, today's SASF. We're diving into today's SASF post-Thanksgiving. Yep. Post-Black Friday. It's not, is it Cyber Monday? Yep. We are recording this on Cyber Monday. But you won't get it. You won't get it. You won't get it until all the deals are gone. But if uh, <laughs> when all the deals are gone, you'll have deals. this to comfort you. <laughs> <laughs> One episode of SAS. One episode of SAS. Here we go. Uh, question from a a faithful listener. I'm wondering if Nate likes "It's a Wonderful Life"'s response to George Bailey's suicidal despair. Let me just keep reading for a little bit seems to this person that their solution for a man completely lost in self-important, self-absorbed panic is to stoke that by showing how spectacular and important he's actually been his whole life. And then further fo- further follow-up, I would have... Uh, they're thinking if it was Job, Job doesn't get the, hey, look how important you actually are. You're the king of a country and the father of many um, gods grief counseling, this, our, our questioner asks, is to get Job to look out at God and the world as a whole, not at, look how great you've been, the world would be bad without you. So I, I know there's, there's There's two ways to read that. And one is, I have, I have a lot of friends who absolutely adore the film, It's a Wonderful Life, but um, I'm not as bothered by that. That part doesn't bother me. Uh, the the thing I struggle with is that kind of the hyper sentimentality that shows up in different places, especially like every time the bell rings thing, the little squeaky child voice, you know, all that. Do Does the film approve of his self-pity? Not at all. Mm. Right? It doesn't. The, the film passes judgment on his self-pity. His self-pity is wrong. He has been given a wonderful life. Right. Like he's been given a wonderful life. His self-pity is foolhardy. So he's not being told and he's not being told you're so special. He's being told like, suck it up. Look at the, it's a wonderful life. It's actually, it's a wonderful life that it's in the title. So like in the title, it's, it's a wonderful life. There's, there's the point. He wants to give it up. He, you know, he's feeling sorry for himself. He's feeling self-absorbed. And the right. film rebukes that. Uh, the film happens to rebuke that, as do his neighbors, as do you know the townspeople. There's there's lots of layers of rebuke there, uh, but it's not him giving himself a, a little award. It's him being loved and rec- receiving mm. kindness. Like he receives grace, right? People are just giving to him. Like there's all this giving that that shows up, and. It's not that he deserved it. It's a gift. And the and his emotional reaction to it is because it's a gift. Right. So right. it's a wonderful life. He's responding to this rebuke of grace uh, mm. that comes. And he's responding to it like it's a gift because it is. Right. Uh, that, that's what it is. But I, w- I will say the, the nature of the narrative that's like, see how much your life has mattered to others is more a... Like, see how your life's been used. See how you've been used. And we see David actually receive comfort like that. You know, we see that. In, okay. We see that in David's narrative. We see that in the Psalms. We see that. Well, he's low, low, low. But then he gets the promise of this messianic line that through you, you know, through you, through your children, like this is, you're going to save the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and when David's in the depths of despair, that holds true. Like that, the promise of the value of his life and the value of his position in the narrative. Uh, so I think the film is, I like the film. I really like Clarence. Um, the film, the film's good. I don't like the, the hyper sentimentality. That's a little bit of like the, uh, it's like eating a peep or a box of peeps. You know, you're eating <laughs> it's like Turkish delight. It's you're Edmund's eating sugar coated marshmallow. <laughs> you know, like there's, there's parts of it that are sugar coated marshmallow. Right. Um, and Christmas movies are notoriously sentimental. This one's no, this one's no different. Right. Well, I guess I don't like the hyper sentimentality, right? 
that that shows up in a few pockets that are more yeah, every time a bell rings yeah they're they're its wings they're yeah. more representative of the era and of a th- an aspect of the era I didn't care for you know I, I don't really right in the silly voiceover at the yeah. beginning you know with the stuff yeah. you know although yep. I do like that the galaxies are actually angels that's kind of cool. yeah that's, that's so there's there's little there's little pieces that you can like or not like I think the film is a good film I think it's not getting it's not devolving into a, a worship yourself, believe in yourself. It's not doing that. It's see what there is a God. There are angels being sent. And he's being shown how wonderful his life is and has been. Right. So his life has been wonderful. It is currently wonderful. And his desire too, because he's it's constantly his his desire to travel, I think is something that affects a lot of a lot of people have this idea of like, oh, if I just traveled, it would be yeah. so good. Yep. And I think the movie does hold that up pretty well as how when it comes down to it, even he knows that that desire is is a, a, a desire that's completely without duty. Like if I had no duty whatsoever, yeah, I would be the kind of and person. And he does, he does a great performance. He gives a great performance. And it's a lot. The whole, the whole film is a great classic traditional Christmas film. Right. Uh, but it, it's like listening to Bing Crosby. Yeah. You know, it's like there's I'm not going to listen to that every day. I'm not yeah. like it's a certain kind of like time warpy uh, <laughs> emotional vibe that, that comes with it. So it's a classic for a reason. You know, it's it's well made. It's well constructed. It's Dickensian. You know, it's doing this Christmas Carol thing overtly. Yeah. You know, and it's it's pretty it's pretty good. I mean, like it's a, yeah, it I mean, like uh, that's even an understatement. I don't mean to be patronizing of a classic, but I say it's pretty good. It's it's like a good movie. It's a it's a great movie that's actually really important in the history of cinema. So right. it's actually kind it's kind of a big one. Um, there are very few movies that you can come back and watch yearly, right? And so the fact that lots of people do, or even yeah. every other and year, and for for me, it's maybe every three years. Um, yeah, no, I, I could watch it. But I just because there's there's some things in there that are like nails on the chalkboard to me. But again, they're I, I think temporal. They're they're located in different time periods. And well, I was reading up. Capra said it was his favorite favorite film right. that he'd done. Jimmy Stewart said it was his favorite film he'd done. Yeah, it was a failure at the beginning. I didn't know this, but failure mm-hmm. at the beginning until it lapsed and became public domain. And then all of a sudden, it got broadcast everywhere all the time because I think they could do it for free. Yeah, it, <laughs> and, it became and this all of a sudden broadcast classic. It had, it, it, that to me was an interesting case study in how a good film can actually just not get out there. Yep. And then getting it out there allows everybody to find out. Yeah. Hey, this was this this stood up. Yeah. And so I'm I'm not trying to stamp it and say this is the high the high point of you know Western storytelling or anything. It's a but it's a it's a great little Christmas movie. Right. And it while there's things again, fingernails on the chalkboard moments in there, there's a huge amount that's fantastic. There's a there's a lot that's yeah, great. Yeah, George's uh George's wife is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like what a, I I read an interesting article I think last year f- about how you yeah. watching the movie through. Yeah, was that uh, uh was that by Claire? Yeah. To Claire, yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah. Let's post that in the show notes. That's a good We will. That's a great one. So how it's a wonderful life can be viewed through the lens well, it's it's important to track what's happening with. Yeah. Uh, oh no! Now I forgot her name and lost my coffee. Oh no! You're no, talking sorry. about sorry, Claire. Claire, Co- Claire Coffee wrote it. Yeah. And uh, Claire, he didn't forget your name. No, I did not forget you. He name. remembered your name. He forgot the famous actress's <laughs> name. Mary. Oh yeah. Mary, obviously. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so George and Mary, but yeah, Mary uh, is is another heroic character. Yeah. Does a great job. Yep. So I, mean, I like the movie. I just like it like I like eating a peep. <laughs> it's got to be better than a peep. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I can't recall the last time okay. I ate a peep. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and say I. it's like... I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go with a Jello. Sure. Because I yeah. eat Jello. Yeah. I eat Jello on holidays. Especially those seven-layer ones. Yeah, no, I will colors. eat something yeah. that comes out of a Jello mold. I will fully dive in on Thanksgiving, around Christmas, Easter. I will 100% eat a Jello, and enjoy it and really enjoy it. And I think that's probably the better way to, to place it. Um, it's fun. No, it's not buying into the you're actually super. Right. You, you are enough. Yeah. It's not doing that. There are pieces that could can be made to look like that because of where the culture's gone since then. 
But I think the the whole rebuke, the fact that it is a rebuke, the fact that it's a, a declarative rebuke of it is actually a wonderful life, and not just the future, the past. Yeah. The past with your hardship, with your deafness, with the struggles, everything else that's back there has been a wonderful life. Right. And like, stop. Get get over your doldrums. Right. It's been wonderful. Yeah. That's that's great. I, I, mean, re I really like that, and I wish more people would pay attention to that. Well, it felt like a very stories or soul food theme of the movie. Like, he yeah. is needing to have a close look at his story again. Because and he... much like the film, <laughs> no one will listen to this podcast until, <laughs> until, until it's in it becomes public, public domain. domain. Anyone can share it right now <laughs> for free. <laughs> Go. Uh, maybe that's what's been holding us back. <laughs> I think so. We, we haven't gone into the public domain. I think your comparison with Dickens, though, I know you have a similar love. Well, actually, I think you just have a hate relationship with Dickens, don't you? Because this feels like a Dickens story. It's got the, I, the spidery cardboard villain. It has the the, yeah. the hero who meets up with his love, and they, you know, it felt okay, very. So, if we're going to talk about Dickens, I think are we, we pivoting to Dickens? Let's pivot to Dickens. Okay, because I, I I think Let your Dickens take is one that will get us into <laughs> get us into trouble. <laughs> let me let me start by saying that it's kind of hard to patronize somebody who's hit that level of cultural significance. He does really achieve <laughs> achieved like insane levels and has formed genres and markets. Right. You can't just pat somebody like that on the head. And so many copies. Yeah. yeah. You can't you can't just be disrespectful that way. I'm like he's 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 achieved a certain, you know, status. I can't flippantly So you'd say Dickens is one of the greats. Yeah. I don't think there's any way around that. I think yeah. that he is one of the greats. He is one of the fathers of Western storytelling and of prose storytelling, the novel, serial. Yeah. Like binge watching on Netflix is downstream from Dickens. Like there's so much that's downstream from Dickens. Harry Potter, downstream from Dickens. Like there's even down to our names, little whinging. Yeah. You know, all all the all those yeah. stolen. So from it's but Mr. Dickens is, um there's things about his stuff that I profoundly hate. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> like, really, really hate, like, a lot. Um, his best book is a Tale of Two Cities. Which and is, I think, the least Dickensian yeah. of the Dickens yeah. work. <laughs> well, I wonder if everyone would agree with you. That and that's the thing, his that, the thing that's funny, this is, this is the weird thing. The characters that he's the worst at are kids. Mm. He's really bad at writing children. Isn't like, he pretty bad at women too? I'm trying to think. Well, I, he writes I, he writes in caricature, right. right? So he he writes in caricature, and his characters Uriah Heaps and obsequious Uriah Heap and yeah. rubbing his hands together. The grave digger Jeremy. Yeah, and he's got the is. resurrection man. He's got all yeah. all these amazing characters. He does pretty phenomenal character work, but he does it like Stan Lee. So Stan Lee doing characters in Spider-Man comics and Dickens doing it in prose, Dickens is doing it in really ex you know exaggerated lines. He's doing it with exaggerated lines and exaggerated tone, and everything's in caricature. Uh, and that's not bad. That's not that's not a bad thing. That's that's his greatest strength, and that's where he is best. But then when he gets to kids, he tends to wildly sentimentalize them. Yep. Uh, projects innocence much much too late and too long and if you want to like you read if you read dodger by terry pratchett yeah great book a little more honesty about the children yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like dodger's a fantastic book yeah so all twist on twist on oliver twist yeah right and like, it's i really terry like dodger. Pratchett. yeah works pretty well yeah but you get into you get into dickens and david copperfield and all the it's like oh my gosh stop it you know just the sentimentality and He's drawing with these big exaggerated lines when he's drawing villains, when he's drawing adult characters, huge characters, memorable characters. You can right. see them. You can watch them act. And then he moves into character when he does children, but he does it completely wrong. You know, it's mm -hmm. like it's it's they're all cherubs. Yep, they become all, sweet little. Yeah, there's uh, this. They're they're almost like they become the guiding spirits. Yeah, and I, I would say that the closest example I can come to this, and this is, this I've, I've used this before with various classes, but uh, never on a podcast. So here we go. <laughs> um, I, I think that Dickens 
where the way he screws up with his, his child characters is like a medieval painter who did not realize that, that the proportions of a child are different than the proportions of an adult. And so he paints a 40-year-old little man sitting, sitting on Mary's lap. lap. So it's Madonna <laughs> and child, and the child she's holding is a, is a little 40-year-old. Yeah. And so he does these little 40-year-olds as if they'd never fallen. His version of like an unfallen 40-year-old. Mm. Like like a little 40-year-old, but totally innocent and pure and not under the curse of Adam. You know, yeah. just sitting there on Madonna's lap, <laughs> looking like a creep. You right. know, just, like, just <laughs> looking all out of whack and the proportions are wrong. Yeah. Everything's terrible. Um, in Tale of Two Cities, it's a pretty good novel, and but he cannot stop himself. Yeah. You know, like he just can't stop when he when he gets rolling. Yeah. Um as as somebody who also occasionally struggles to find the breaks, <laughs> I can feel wildly superior to Dickens in this regard. Right. <laughs> but it's your children do feel like children. But That's the true. the opening of Tale of Two Cities, so best of times, worst of times, great opening line, and then keeps going and it's all this unrest and then a wine barrel drops in the street and the wine spills like blood in the streets and it runs like blood in the streets around the cobbles and it looks like blood yeah. in the dirt and blood over the stones. The children and, are playing in the and blood. And the children are playing in the blood and there's blood and it's all the blood. Do you get it yet? Do you get it? Do you get it? <laughs> and then somebody bends down and dips their finger in the wine that looks like blood and they stand up and they write blood in the wine that looks like blood on the wall. <laughs> And you're like, really, dude? Like, <laughs> you know, just he cannot stop just adding eggs to the pudding. Yeah. But just more, 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 right. more. It just heaps it on. Well, I think but he's. But despite that, yeah. It's a great book. It's a towering work, right? It's a big, right. big work, and it's been massively formative. He's one of the fathers of the genre in which I labor. Like, he's way upstream from me. And I have to be grateful to him and for what he did and for how God used him. I just do not enjoy reading his fiction, right? except for The Tale of Two Cities. I can enjoy that, except for, so except for this, except <laughs> for this inside The Tale of Two Cities, when he introduces the children. Yeah. As soon as he introduces the children, it's like, oh, gosh, here we go. And then <laughs> well, they uh, die. He stole, and you're like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> he stole the plot of Tale of Two Cities from a friend, or I should say borrowed. I believe he, he lifted he, it. It was So that's what, that's what makes me think, like, I don't even know if we're critiquing him at his... Most Dickensian, I think. No, he's... we're not. And that's actually, I, I think that his least Dickensian book is, is his, his best, best book. <laughs> it's his best work. Yeah. The other stuff, there's scenes and characters and things yeah. where it's like his greatness shows. Yeah, obviously the characters, yeah. his, some of his descriptions yeah. are fantastic. The character moments of headmasters in schools. Yep. Or... But the long-windedness and yeah. the repetitiveness and the hitting the same piano key, you know, over and over and over yeah. and over again. <laughs> I mean, just, I, I think the other part of what makes him fun is just that his stories resolve so well. So that and I, I did, I did, I did read David Copperfield as a teenage boy, and it might be possible that I've just never forgiven him. Well, no, I hated it too. I read it Good. at the same time. I'm as not you. alone. I'm not and alone. So we could both be off, but I remember just wanting his first wife dead because she was kill so her. bad. Kill her dead. <laughs> and when she did die. There oh, was great relief. relief. There was great rejoicing. <laughs> sweet relief. <laughs> Which it was pretty horrible to do to David. Yeah. You know? No, it's admittedly, I'm not. Chesterton loved him. Right. So there's that. Yeah. So there's a little that probably is the biggest thing he has going for him in my yeah. in my book. Is I love Chesterton. Chesterton loved Dickens. Um, but Chesterton also, wild sentimentalist. Right. Just well, one that I, I really, really enjoy. Yeah. And I, man, the sentimentality of Love, the sentimentality of feminine innocence, the sentimentality of children is insufferable. Right. It is really hard to stomach. And that's why I sometimes think Dickens is, I don't know if this is going to be really bad, but it's better in movie because you just get a, a nice short movie. Is and it? I don't know. Have I mean, I like one? Bleak House. I thought it was fine. No. You know, you just watch it and you're like, I didn't do it. I didn't spend longer than an evening. <laughs> <laughs> And it resolved nicely, and the characters were fun. I know there's people who are all about great expectations, and oh yeah, I haven't. I uh, probably shouldn't say all the Dickens that I haven't read. <laughs> a Christmas Carol. I really like Christmas Carol. Yeah, I mean, I think Christmas Carol proves his genius. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that it's the best thing. But the yeah. fact that he could hit on that device, yeah, which is so simple. But then that's now, what I mean like is the, the devices now that structure, with the characters. 
Scrooge yeah. plus. So that. he set the stage. He yeah. set a really creative stage with a really creative what if. Yeah. And then he nails the characters, right? He nails them. Right. And then you hit who's the most loathsome character in Christmas Carol? <laughs> well, Ebenezer Scrooge. Tiny Tim. Oh, yeah. Sorry. We have <laughs> talked about this. The, this is, I guess, I forgot. We have come around to a new Christmas, and it is time uh, for us all to declare. God bless us, everyone. Tiny Tim the, is the worst. Tiny Tim's the worst. <laughs> I, we the, did get pushback from local locals. They thought, wait, you really think Tiny Tim is the worst? Yeah. And he is, in fact, the worst. He is, in fact, the worst. Worse than Scrooge. Um, so what do we need a character assassinate anyone who likes Tiny Tim? I'm trying to think. No. Yeah. We'll no, just, but you, you can, should definitely probably fast and pray. <laughs> For a little while. Advent. Merry any, Christmas. Any, yeah, anybody <laughs> who really digs Tiny Tim should be like, you know what? There's some soul searching. You need to he's, do some he's deep He's just so soul clearly searching. a manipulative device that I think... Absolutely. ...that that is what makes him loathsome. And that's, I think, a reason that... I don't actually... Yeah, him. it's very... I don't hate Tiny Tim. If I meet right. a Tiny Tim yes. in the world, I don't hate him. Right. I do hate the manipulation that, that an author is trying to do to me with this right. fiction. Right. And so they've created this thing to try to throw a lever on me emotionally that I'm not willing for, you know, Dickens right. to be able I to think reach. The Bob Cratchit didn't have enough of his own character to make him stick and make us like him. So I think right. that Mrs. Cratchit does. She's awesome. And then I think uh and and then I think Tiny Tim is added on there because of this is my theory, the weakness of Bob Cratchit. Interesting. Um because if he were not more the weakness of Dickens. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> I think the char- the fact that Bob Cratchit is kind of not memorable. He's just sort of like this. What does he have going? Right. Yeah. He's just a, he, a vessel. Right. But and that's why I hate the manipulation because, yeah, a dad who takes his crippled son to watch the kids play on the ice after work and then comes home and tells his wife about it. I mean, that's if you met it in real life, you'd be like, "Good on you, dad." But in really on the page, would you? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, like maybe give the kid something he can do, <laughs> like teach him checkers, get, get yeah. really good at chess. Yeah. Like, okay. So yeah, really, Bob has nothing going. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, all this, all this to say, is Capra definitely is doing something Dickensian with "It's a Wonderful Life," right? And that's just the case. There's inflated, you know, characters and right. exaggerated lines, and it's not realism. But he's way he, better at kids, though. I think he does. The kid, I don't know. the kid playing the piano over and over. Again. Yeah, that, that part. That was a great yeah, scene. that part. But the little, the little girl, still no. <laughs> yeah, she's a little cheruby, but yeah, you can forgive little girls for being cheruby. She's a cherubic. little. She's a little. You have all little boys. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know. Maybe they actually are cherubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're perfect. They haven't fallen. Um, but yeah, so Dickens is—he's a great. Like he is a, a an absolute great and is foundational uh, in in many many ways. That, however, does not mean that every aspect of what he did was great and every right. aspect of what he did should be passed on and carried on. So he definitely invented like a school of architecture in terms of narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, but somebody could be a great in the world of fashion and you not want to wear those dresses anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a good point. You know, it's like it's we've we've moved somebody could be a great in the world of music like that was really formative that was a big big thing and you could still only want to listen to it once a year right you know or right. every every couple of years so i don't remember the last time i actually just sat down with dickens it would never come out of pleasure it would come out of duty where it's like <laughs> oh i'm i need to revisit one of these old masters and and yeah. give him a fair shake i need to read him with my Current experience and eyeballs, and right. not not remember the prejudices of a grad student, a college student, and a high school student, right? Because it's been a minute, yeah. You know, and I have heard great expectations. Pip is supposedly awesome, although I've heard they also I don't believe anybody. I know it's hard because then I remember any he Dickens had, fans immediately. I don't believe them, right? And I remember he had a depressing ending to Great Expectations, which he then changed into a cheerful, happy ending. That is the one that's become canon. Hmm. So. I don't know. That to me seems to cut with the grain. Do you think Dickens could be edited down? Oh gosh, yes. To be like Good. something you'd read. That's what mm. I'm curious about. Why you want to? You gonna publish this? No, I'm just kind of curious. Let's, let's like, publish a series called Dickens, but good. Dickens. 
<laughs> what the Dickens? A new series. Dickens, I, th- I think good. Dickens, but good. Dickens, but good. Dickens, but good. New, I, so it's new... not just a length problem. It's just a lot of stuff that needs. It was formative when it came because we talk a lot about how we got paid by the word. Am it's... I allowed to talk about Peeps and Dickens? At least I talked about Peeps and It's a Wonderful Life, and I retreated to Jello salad. But this is <laughs> or Jellos. But this is that just the molasses, the the treacle. Mm-hmm. You know the kind of world in which there's lots of treacle. Yeah, <laughs> oh. that's a good soundbite. I'll let everyone just yeah. sit on that. Where it just it's saccharine. It's so saccharine, and which is crazy because there's a lot of death and sickness. I know, and, but that's but that's part of it. And villainy. Yeah, and that's where he's strong. He's so strong just, on the villainy. Just, he's strong on he's strong on characters that aren't the protagonist. He's he's strong on a lot of peripheral stuff. So what you're saying is he's just melodrama. Yeah. That's what it is. He's just yep. the OG melodrama. Pop melodrama. your collar, twirl your mustache. Right. This is Road yeah. of the Railway, but... It's very soapy. 1800s. Just really, really soapy, melodramatic, and, you know, enormously important. <laughs> right. Okay, that is a pretty brutal takedown, actually. Soap opera. I mean, do you not think it's soapy? It's pretty soapy. I think it is, yeah. Because it's I'm also just... prolonged. Like, like when you really milk something for length and you just fold suffering drama and, like, reversals and right. agonies and, you know, I, I think it's really soapy. Mm. And, like, American soap, not even telenovela. Which... <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think that's probably fair. I'm curious what what our listeners will come back with. I, th- I wonder if they're all going to think it's fair. Also, if they're going to be like, "Yep, that's fair." I always hear that we're completely fair when we address <laughs> an issue. Um, good. Yeah. Good. Good. If you didn't want us to be unfair, you shouldn't have left us in this room with these <laughs> microphones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so no, shouldn't edit Dickens. Should just produce better stuff. I don't know. I think Dickens but good could be a fun series. I mean, it would be. I'm curious if let's have Chat GBT do it. I, I'm at, I'm now wondering if you if we could take this criticism and apply it to most of the prose written at that time because we could it feels like we could easily move on to Victor Hugo and do Les Misérables <sighs> and do Count of Monte Cristo and do all of these in the exact same way, just except the- for they're not even as good at characters. Maybe slightly better on the, slightly better. I mean, on really, you'd realism. say that about you'd say that about Tolstoy. No, I know I can't say that about Tolstoy. I mean, Dumas is definitely also working with caricature. He's so maybe it's just Dickens and Dumas. Well, but he it's in that era is he's yeah. working in that very baroque romantic yeah structure. Everything's uh, yeah my really, character really is, exaggerated is, and is going to be a prostitute, but she becomes good at the end and then dies. That that's another that Dumas beat. Or yeah, sorry, Victor Hugo. Sorry, that Victor Hugo, Hugo beat yeah. feels very similar to. Dickens it's very beat. you know he's 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 much better at realism than Dickens, but he's also wildly sentimental. Yeah. So there's just a heavy sentimentality, yeah. uh, and the sentimentality of victimhood that like victim status brings with it a kind of innocence and purity, which is. I don't know if you've noticed, but that's a problem that's with us to this day. And that might be why that, if we're going to get in trouble, we might as well do it. <laughs> <laughs> that might be why that movie became so popular, the one that that hit. That one, I heard everybody praising it um, with uh, the, the new musical of uh, Les Miserables. But I'm trying to think. Did if, you really? Was it? I mean, I, I just, yeah, off the maybe, street, Maybe people, people just know better than to tell me that they liked Les Mis. I, I think everyone's careful when they tell me what they <laughs> liked. <laughs> yeah, I heard a lot of praise before it. Uh, the most I heard was criticism that, oh, what's his name? Hugo, or not, not Hugo, Hugh is not a great singer. Hugh Jackman. That's right. the main thing I heard. Um, but then... It's, I, a, it's also really funny to me when people talk about the novel and the musical, like they're somehow... The same. The same thing. Right. So the novel, let's all be real, I've never finished. The musical, I have fully experienced. And, <laughs> and yeah, you loved so, it. Yeah. No, it, it's r- real bad. Um, it's all. It's just all the way bad. Sentimentality, victimhood, communism. <laughs> just 
All the, all the things. Wow. This um, is where we should have started because this will make people upset. People think this is like the clearest. They think he's the clearest Christ figure we've had in film who? lately. Huge I'm, I'm going off of many freshman papers that I've Yeah, read. yeah. So maybe a freshman paper is. Yeah, it, I mean, let's just say no and leave it there. <laughs> but it's what is the overall work doing? Uh, what is it pushing? I, I mean, let's just go ahead and say I could still sing some of the songs. Uh, yeah. But they're catchy. The opening Prisoner song is pretty great. But, yeah, there's there's actually a lot of great songs in there. I just cannot abide the beating heart of the thing. You know, it's uh, the, the surface of it. There's there's plenty of cool stuff. So if you think about the, the tiers of criticism that we've talked about before, like technical response and then uh, – objective technical as a musical what are we talking about we're talking about sets we're talking about costuming we're talking about you know what like we're talking about technical craft of production of course like if you go see this at a fun stuff you go see this with a high level production it's that part is going to be really high the music is up there in terms of show tunes like it's in that world of show tunes so it's not you know it's not up there with Handel and vivaldi and mozart but it's it's in show tunes world is it a high level it's extremely sticky, lots of earworms, lots of things that yeah. that are there and very effective and memorable. Um, so you're going to see lots of technical stuff. But you get down to the res- response, oh, I think it's been really unhelpful because it's it's dragged a lot of people because of that technical value and because of the stickiness of the music and everything else. It's dragged a lot of people into this. Uh, their affections go first, and then they try to rationalize after the fact. They, they find typology. They find shapes after the fact that they then say, this means it's good, right? This means it has a good message, right? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't have to. Because what is the nature of forgiveness? What is the nature of justice? What is the nature of mercy? How yeah, because the, the Javert and... Yeah. and uh, so all, yeah. all that bit, you're, you're looking at... You're, you have to look at what is it saying? What is it doing? What is it saying very specifically about these things, about guilt, about innocence, about justice, about mercy, um, through the whole thing? And will you find some truth? Yes, you will. But you're also going to find it, you know, in a salad of untruth. Like there's just all sorts of it. And then it's all of it's wrapped into um, the revolutions in Europe, which were an absolute disaster. Right. And where that... And it and where that very led. clearly on the revolutionary side. Yeah, and argue. very early, very early communism, and you know the rebellion of the, you know of of the people, and it's like that particular drug is the wall of Western civilization is still hooked on that drug. Like we can't. It's it's recent enough. We're not reading something by the ancient Greeks. We're looking at something that's right at the beginning of this, like hyper romantic like drug of victimhood and eat the rich and, and, you know, and throw down the old statues and everything else that, that drug is, this is back when we really got hooked on it mm. in the romantic era, post enlightenment and everything else. It just went bad. It went real bad. And we're still in it. Like yep. we're still there. Now what modernism tried to do and postmodernism tried to do failed because all they did is create vacuums that were just once again filled by the common people with this like hyper romantic sentimentality around the concepts of justice, equality, and, you know, and everything else. We're still totally confused. So it's not a thing I can look at it. I can't look at the, and again, I'm still talking about the musical. I'm still talking about this big thing. And the book, I I would try to talk about the book this way as well, except for the fact that, because it spawned the musical, except for the fact that I have not finished it. So, (laughs) so (laughs) I'm being, I'm being fair here. I can't, I can't throw any rocks at the book because I haven't completed it, but the blaming it for its offspring, like this musical, the thing I hate the most about it is the way that Christians drink the Kool-Aid. Like if it, if it just existed and was impotent, like, so under that response value, like we look at technical value, right. we look at response value. It is horrific the way people blind themselves and just go along and they turn their brains off and they think, oh, but this is gospel, right? It's like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. Like the whole thing is couched in lies and disruption. And what is justice? What doesn't know? What is equality? What is mercy? What are these right. things you're talking about? 
You yeah. literally have the justice character have to kill himself in order for this story to work. Yeah. Like, like yep. it, that fundamental dynamic of whether that works or not, I think yeah. is. And will you join in our crusade? Like what yeah. crusade? Like, yeah. okay, I could sing that right now. It's a catchy song. Yeah. You know, it's like, who will be strong and stand with me? You know, it's like just, right. will you join in our crusade? What crusade? And it was not a good one. The bad crusade. <laughs> <laughs> this terrible crusade. Um, a lot of people confuse it with the French Revolution. It's not, but it actually is very much part and parcel with that movement. It is downstream from that. The whole, the yeah. whole thing. It's all one big thing. That this is slightly pre-Napoleon, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this revolution is kind of what helped lead to lots Napoleon. of like yeah. Lots and helped lead to where we sit right now. Yeah. You know, it it helped lead to like all it's, the... It's that classic example of democracy becoming the thing that a dictator then can move in and control. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the demagogue. Yep. And that, that dictator then gives everybody something to march about in the streets. And the whole cycle just... Perpetuates. Perpetuates. So the, the chaos of like heart, like unsanctified heart forward storytelling. Like when you actually just push your feels mm, out front. That's interesting. So you're saying, yeah, something that feels good. Yeah. Start to finish. And you just, you say, I'm pushing my feels out front, but I'm not sanctifying or disciplining those feels. I'm just letting my feels lead me here. That can get you marching in the streets. That can get you paying no mind. That can get you burning Minneapolis down. That can get you doing all sorts of crazy things. And it's the exact same human loop. So Les Mis bugs me the most because it is like the patron saint artistically of a huge amount of the rot in evangelicalism and in Christianity, which is the buy-in of uh, the sentimental buy-in that true like e equity and outcome, like exact equivalence and outcome is justice. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, or even that because he was put in prison for a loaf of bread, therefore right. everything that happened in France is justified. You yeah. know, that's yep. the kind of logic that's been. Yeah. The law, the there was a mistake made or there wasn't a mistake made or there was, there was an injustice and, you know, over punishment, over punishment happened. Yeah. And therefore, right. you know, tear it all down. Or even the, the criminalization of the prostitution and all that situation. It all plays yep. like the same line is being run. Yep. With and the, so the thing you see in the the down and outers who are with Christ is true and profound repentance. They they aren't more holy and more innocent because they're down and outers. Like they are aware of their darkness. They are more aware. They're not caught up in the lies. So mm, in the New Testament, that's a good distinction. So if you go up to the top echelons of society at the time of Les Mis, you'd have people at the top who thought they were righteous. They would say, I'm a good person. You know, AOC would say that right now. I'm a good person. Mm -hmm. uh, plenty of people on the right would say the same thing. I'm a good person up there. Uh, that's the trap they're stuck in. Like that's the trap that prevents them from you know finding repentance and finding forgiveness. Uh, but you go down to the street and you're in the addicts. You're with the addicts and the prostitutes and and everything else. You're way more likely to find people who are truly broken and are being honest about the darkness, honest about their brokenness, honest about their need for repentance, then those are the ones who repented and were around Christ. Thieves, whores, yeah. tax collectors. You know, like that's it's not the healthy that need a physician. Yeah. It's the so sick. they're but they're the ones who know they know they're sick. And then the up with up with the Pharisees, they're just as sick. But right. they don't know they're sick. They're still in denial about being sick. And Les Mis comes and a and I'm kicking the musical here, but this is actually all over the place in storytelling. And Dickens is guilty of it as well. Mm. Goes to the downtrodden. And even that, think of that word, the downtrodden. Like, okay, the people who've been stomped down. Right. Goes to the, let's say, down and outers. Uh, goes to the down and outers and then celebrates them as innocent and righteous. Yeah. Like as pure because they're victims and their victimhood is what sanctifies them. Their victimhood is yeah, what makes them holy, yeah. as opposed to their debauchery, their sin, their fallenness, their down and outness, is what enables them to see themselves honestly and clearly and to cry out to God. And they, yeah. they from that place of brokenness and from that place of darkness, cry out to God and are forgiven, and Christ eats with them. He brings them to the table, like he forgives them. What you see in the play, in the musical Les Mis, what you see in a lot of Dickens is those...
down and outers, don't look in the mirror and see a wicked person. Like they see an oppressed person who is made righteous by the oppression, like by the status of being oppressed, they're made righteous and they can therefore spill blood. Mm. They can therefore spill blood and it's not yeah. their fault. It's righteous. Have we seen this at all in Israel? <laughs> yes. Mm. Like the number of people who want to talk about, but you know, conditions in Gaza, uh, like conditions in Gaza justify just like murder, gang raping <laughs> strangers and slicing their Achilles tendons so they can't run away. What are you talking about? It's like, no, but they're victims. They're oppressed. And by the, the nature of that oppression is it made them holy and they are now the standard of righteousness. And mm. that like Western uh, pathology that we've developed where we just like slip into eating that lie over mm -hmm. and over again has a long and storied history yeah. of where the oppressed have holiness uh, because they, ha they have that oppression status. And that's your hatred of the sentimentality to bring it full circle because yeah. that often becomes the, the frosting that gets frosted yeah. on top. What's the best thing about being oppressed? Uh, I don't know. I can think of one good thing. <laughs> as it would cause you to cry out to God. Yeah. Like it there's no self-reliance in oppression. There's no uh there's nothing. Like there's if you were truly oppressed, if you're down, if you're the Hebrews in Egypt, you know, it's like if you're mm. in Atlanta in 1850, you know, coming off a boat and you hear the gospel and you are you're in chains. You know, it's like that's in and it's a horrible life. You have this, you know, whole horrible experience. The only the only good thing is that you're set up to cry out to God. This is the nature of trial. This is the nature of all hardship. Yep. Is we we have this pressure that pushes us to cry out to God. That's the benefit of it. It does not make you more holy. Like right. being mistreated does not make you holier. It just doesn't. Yeah. It can make you like by grace, by God's grace, it can make you cry out to God. You know, it can be an opportunity for that. Um, and we see that through the New Testament and so on. But we also have this weird kind of like corruption of that shape, the shape of somebody who's a down and outer being treated like a hero. Yeah. You know, that's that's one of the the things that Christians see in the story and they think, see, there's the shape of the gospel. And it's like, well, yeah, depends. Do you see the these down and out people talking a lot about their own sin? Do you see them talking about their unrighteousness? Do you see them crying out to God for forgiveness? Do you see them crying out to God for forgiveness and deliverance and then God delivering them? It's like, no, it's not what you see. Like mm -hmm. you see anger, you see self-righteousness over against the oppressor and you see a desire for blood and for violence and a complete sensation of self-righteousness in that life-taking, in that violence. And I, and I think I think where the trick comes in that makes it extra tricky is that Jean Valjean does walk that hero line. Yeah. And that's what's confusing everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I think that is it, is that we we watch him, we like him, we want him to succeed yep. because we've been given that initial victim. We talk about the hunger we talk him. about the hunger games. Yeah. Uh, when Katniss takes her sister's place. Yeah. That's the shape of Christianity. Yeah, you're when in. when a character says "take me instead," right? That's okay. Take me instead. That's a Christian move. And so the walnut shell moves. She goes into the games, and we're like, "Oh, good, self sacrifice." As she murders people in their sleep, right? You know, it's like, no, not self sacrifice. Yeah, you stop that. You yeah. stop that part. You right. moved on. And I think I think you see that in Les Mis as well. But all you need to know is that some of the guys, and I think we all know this is the case, some of those guys who are in paragliders coming into Israel on a holiday to like cook babies alive to you know chop grandmothers up to rape children and old women felt righteous yeah they did that combining that with a sensation of righteousness yeah feeling, because oppression right like because oppression feelings are not and it's like that North Star. doesn't yeah you know that doesn't give you that get out of hell free card it's not yeah. You know, it doesn't get you there. Right. So oppressed or not, like regardless of, you know, any like, well, think pre this war, any pre-war Gaza politics, regardless of any of that, uh, it just doesn't justify that kind of thing. Could they have been singing, will you join in our crusade as they came over the walls? Like, yes, 
Like, yeah, absolutely. I think you know, probably like, I, I'd, I'd bet some of the colleges were. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> in the U.S. in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, so it's like we have this ability to be wronged, and then to think that now we can do no wrong, and we get to rise up and slaughter yeah. and and do whatever. And so, this that, is this is a real weird book recommend for this one, but it, especially when we're talking about Dickens characters with so many of the oppressed, the book Life at the Bottom by Dalrymple, the one that's just like a sociological study of the lowest classes is crazy because it's, it's somehow a book that we don't, aren't allowed to read because it is just a doctor overtly looking at how the under, the underclasses play into their own abuse and can't get out of their own cycle of badness. He's not really interested in, you know, what put them there. He's just talking to them, the ones who are going to kill themselves with drugs or alcohol. Yep. And and for for that one, it is it is a very different picture than, you know, that the uh, the the blessed poor person. Yeah, that, exactly. That. Uh, yep. Which exactly. interestingly enough, like even even the, you know, it is Bartimaeus or the guy with the bed, you know, the paralytic. That's always repent of repent and then yep. be healed. Not just you're fine. You just needed yep. a little money. Yep. Repent and believe. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I, I do think that. A lot of my reaction to Les Mis is, well, I know it's all to the musical. It's not to the book because yeah. I haven't been through it. Um, but it's a lot of that reaction is all parked because I'm leaning so hard in the canoe of Christendom because I see so many of my cousins and siblings and all my all my brothers and sisters in Christ like eating this yeah. treat and thinking it's a super great healthy thing. And isn't it fun? I'm like, sure, it's sticky. It's fun. It's, you know. I get it. Catchy yeah. tunes, great right. production, uh, but I'm, it's like it—it it just makes you weaker. It makes you weaker, right, and more vulnerable to the lies of our age, like yeah, the lies My, right now that will sweep, that will tear your churches apart, that will tear your schools apart. Those lies right now, it makes yeah. you weaker for those lies, and I think that's my—that's why I find myself so, you know so far protruding out the other side of the canoe where I'm just trying to like, <laughs> trying to leave. Well, I think you're, I think you're right. Uh, my boys and I listen to the longest John's like sea shanty ballads. Right. Yeah. And they've got the worker song in there, which is like, so such a good earworm of a song. Yeah. But so I'm realizing pretty poisonous as far as like what it's teaching. Yeah. You know, if we're all singing, you know, <laughs> here we go that, you know, we don't get anything. It's all yep. a pie in the sky. Yep. You know, uh, that's all like an, it's a bad emotional cocktail to be serving yep. in a song that you like. Oh, it really <laughs> is. And it's, it's hard. I mean, like oppression is wildly difficult. It's a really difficult, obviously understatement, but it's a really difficult test to pass yep. co- cosmically. Yeah. Like, so the, those, the oppressors are full of self-righteousness and they're caught in that self-righteousness. The oppressed can be as well and can add just as much self-righteousness, but they can add layers of bitterness and resentment and, and just not deal with their own, like deal with what's within their own reach mm. um, and, and cry out to God. And so that's it's why the Old Testament, it's hard. the Old yeah. Testament, nonstop oppression. Yeah. And how do you yep. respond to it? And, and little things like Joshua and Caleb come back and say, hey, we, we're well able. We're well able to go up into the land. And God is so mad at the other spies and so upset at Israel that they are all going to stay in the wilderness and die. Yeah. Like, okay, that's heavy. Mm-hmm. It's like, because even now you still doubt. You still don't have faith. Mm-hmm. And so more hardship, like another generation of hardship before you're ready for this. And as soon as they got into the land, they still end up slipping and falling and and failing and yeah. um and so on. So like we just humanity, like we we just are bad at this. Mm-hmm. We're really bad at this. We're really good at self justification and we're really bad at self honesty. You know, like that's just not a thing that we're we're great at. Um, and so I, Dickens annoys me less <laughs> than Lame is, but it does strike me as part of the same universe it's the same kind of sentimentality the same kind of holiness at the bottom yeah you know holiness yeah. is down there and while it's true that when christ came he went to the bottom yeah like he went he went he also went to the synagogue and let things be known but he went to the bottom yeah. but down at the bottom it's not primitivism. he didn't like, go down there to say yeah he didn't go down there to say you guys are good and holy and best and that's why i'm hanging out with you 
It's like he went down there because they knew they were sick. They knew they needed a physician. And the ones at the top were still in denial and still refusing. And it's them. an indictment of the ones on the top. Yep. When when someone who yep. has every reason or when you have every reason to know the truth and are, yeah. and yet So don't just don't just assume in. the ones at the bottom. A this is something that's happened on the right. I'll just throw this in as we run. Uh, yeah, we get a- on the right. A lot of people have reacted to some of the lies of the left by saying you're not on the bottom. Yeah, that's not really the bottom. It's like, no, they're really down there. <laughs> yeah. There is oppression. Yeah, don't there fight. Is hardship. Don't fight for who's the holiest bottom rung of the yeah. ladder. Don't don't buy into the lie by fighting to be at the bottom of the ladder and think that down there you'll get holy. It's like it's not how it works. Right. Like. They're at the bottom. Oppression is real. Oppression is real. Confess your own sins. Yeah. Read your own story. Yeah. Read your own story. Confess your own sins. Cry out to God where you are. Uh, but don't think that getting down there makes you holy. And don't think that telling somebody else that they're not down there like somehow makes them unholy if you move them up. Like, Don't buy into that lie at all. So this has been a very wandering episode, going from Capra and It's a Wonderful Life and Dickens and Les Mis, but it's all connected, it really. Is. It did connect. Uh, don't be a sentimentalist this Christian Christmas, um, except in all the best ways. Right. Fudge. It's fudge. <laughs> if you are a longtime listener to the Stories of Soul Food podcast, then you know that I am the proud dad of five boys, and only five boys which means we talk a lot, my wife and I, about how to raise sons. That's what made me so excited when I heard that Canon Plus was releasing the Future Men Raising Boys to Fight Giants documentary parenting series. Five episodes of parenting goodness from a bunch of different voices, teaching your sons how to be the heroes that our culture need. In fact, they're probably going to be more like King David than you would be comfortable with. Join canonplus.com, check out Future Men all episodes. Episode one, The Road to Masculinity. Two, A Call for Fathers. Three, The Boy Against Himself. Four, Boys in Sports. Five, Boys and Stories. That right there, Future Men documentary series. I wanted to share it with you in case, like me, you have a number of boys in your life who are at some point going to become future men.